So how do you know when your faith is real? How do you know when your faith is really authentic? We've been talking about that as we've worked our way this summer through the book of 1 John. And I don't know if you remember or not, but last time in the message we, were, we finished at 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. If you want to open your Bibles to there, we'll see where we left off. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10 says this, This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Today we're going to fast forward from that verse all the way to chapter 4, verse 7. We're going to be skipping uh, some material. Let me tell you why. I used the second half of, of John, 1 John 3 in my message in May on Love Loud. I've, I preached the second half of 1 John chapter 3, so we're skipping that since I preached it recently in May. And also I used the first six verses of chapter 4 when we were talking about the Antichrist as we were preaching through 1 John chapter 2. So today our text, as we're moving our way through this book, getting near the end, our text today is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Now, I'll tell you that I thought about calling this message, How to Love the Jerks in Your Life. You got some, apparently. That's what I started to call it, How to Love the Jerks in Your Life. You see, it's easy to love the people who like you. You know those people who smile at you, and they compliment you, and they hug you, and they brag on you. And It's easy to love people like that. It's easy to love people who like you back. But what about the jerks in your life? Those people who don't like you, who don't speak well of you, those people who, who snarl at you and say bad things about you, it, you know, it's the people who get on your nerves that really test whether or not you love people the way you should. I also thought about calling this message, Loving the People You're Stuck With. Because not only do some people get on your nerves, but you're stuck with some of them. They're in your family. You can't get away from them. Uh, they're at your work. They, they're in the next cubicle over. Or they, they live across the street from you. Or they're in your class and you've got three classes with them. Or they're your sweet mate in college. Or they're in your BSF class. How do you love people who are jerks that you can't get away from? So I want to ask you today a very hard question. I want you to, first of all, get in, my, in your mind the picture of that person right now that some of you are having a hard time loving. And for some of you, that, immediately that image pops into your mind because just this week there was something that happened, or just last week, or, and it's still very recent. But I want you to think in your mind about that person, that, that they just kind of get on your nerves, you, you, you just kind of knock heads, you don't see eye to eye, uh, you, you just get irritated around them. I want you to get in your mind a picture of somebody that, that you have a hard time loving. Now I want to ask you a hard question. Would you be willing to allow God to change your attitude towards them? I'm not asking you if you'd be willing to love them. You're not there yet. That's why you're struggling, to, right? I'm not asking you if you'd be willing to love them. I'm, I'm asking this. Would you be willing to allow God's Spirit to show you how to change your critical, fault-finding attitude towards them into an attitude of love. So 
So as I wrestled with the title of the message, you know, how to love the jerks in your life, how to love the people you can't get away from, I finally settled on a much simpler title. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. So let's say that together. Love God, love others. Would you say it one more time? Love God, love others. What if? What if God asked you to love that person that you can't stand? What if God is asking you to love the person who doesn't like you? Have you ever asked yourself this question? I have. I'll, I'll confess. Maybe you'll confess too. Have you ever asked this question, why don't they like me? You ever asked that? You ever wondered that? Why don't they like me? I mean, I mean, you're a likable person, right? You kind of look in the mirror and say, I don't understand. Why doesn't he like me? Why doesn't, they like, doesn't she like me? Why on earth would somebody not like you? I mean, you're a nice person, right? I'm sure you are most days. You're a nice person. The fact is, if we expect everybody to like us, we're going to be sorely disappointed, aren't we? Some people may not like you because they're jealous of you. They're jealous of what you have. They're jealous of your family. They're jealous of your home. They're jealous of your car. They're they're jealous of the position you have. Some people are not going to like you simply because they're jealous of you. Some people are not going to like you because of your stand for Christ. You're not trying to be showy. You're, You're just trying to live for Jesus. And some people are not going to like you because of your stand for Jesus Christ. Some people are not going to like you because they don't like your personality. You talk too much, or you talk too loud, or you do this, you do that. They just don't like you because they just don't like your personality. There's lots of reasons why people are not going to perhaps like you. It's really difficult. It's really difficult for us to love people who don't like us. And I'm going to tell you why. One of the reasons it's so hard to love people who don't like you is because, listen to this, are you listening? It's because of your pride. Your pride gets in the way. Because they don't like you, your pride is hurt. We become too proud to love them unconditionally. Now you can't make them like you, but you can make a choice to love them anyway. So here's how John talks about it. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. John addresses this very practical issue. Beginning in verse 7, he starts this way. Dear friends. Now I want you to note that. You're going to see it again later in the text. But let me just tell you, whenever John uses that salutation, dear friends, whatever came after that salutation was very important. He does that throughout the letter several times. Throughout the letter, he'll say, dear friends or dear children. And whenever he uses that salutation, whatever he wrote after that was very significant. So here's what he says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world, that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our our sins. Dear friends, there it is again. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete 
in us. In every verse in this text, John tells us something very significant about loving others. And here's the first thing that he tells us. I want you to write this one down. The first thing that he tells us that is so significant is this, that God is the source of love. God is the source of love. Have you ever thought about how strange it is that we as human beings can build strong emotional bonds with other people? I mean, I've been your pastor now for 18 years, and I can tell you with all sincerity that I love you. And, and some of you can say back to me, Pastor, we love you too. How is it that we build those kind of bonds? How, how is it that you can say to your wife, Honey, I love you. Or, or how is it that a grown man can pick up a little girl and pick her up and say, Daddy sure does love you, sweetheart. How is it that you can look at your grandson or your granddaughter and hug them and say, Papa sure does love you. What I'm asking is this. Where does that come from? How is it that we develop this? How does love happen? Is what I'm trying to say. How does love happen? Somebody ask a group of kids that. How does love happen? Here's some of their answers. Andrew, age six, says, One of the people has freckles, and so he finds somebody else that has freckles. That's how love happens. May, age 9, says, No one is sure why it happens, but I heard it has something to do with how you smell. That's why perfume and deodorant are so popular. (laughs) Manuel, age 8, says, I think you're supposed to get shot with an arrow or something, but the rest of it isn't supposed to be so painful. (laughs) That's how love happens. How does love happen? Here's how it happens. God is the source of love. You see, love is something that mankind could never invent. But the Bible says in Genesis 1, uh, I believe it's 127, says that we were made in the image of God. And it says here in 1 John, God is what? Love. God is the inventor of love. He is the source of love. God is the one from whom all love flows. He is the author of love. And here, that, here is why that is so significant. Whatever God demands, God supplies. It's a great spiritual principle you need to remember. Whatever God demands, God supplies. So when God says, love one another, we say, we'll do that so long as we can qualify who the one another are. So long as I can make a list about who the one another is, I'm okay with that. But God says, no, when I say love one another, I mean all one another's. That's not good English, but it's good theology. Love all one another's. And you say, well, I can't do that because there's some people I do love, but there's some people I can't stand. I can't love that jerk. And God says, you need to remember something. I'm not asking you to love them. I'm asking you to let my love flow through you because God is the source of love. Love comes from Him. Now, I know that this will help some of you grab hold of this spiritual truth. So let me tell you about... See if you can figure out what, what I'm describing here. It, it's long, maybe 15, 20, 25 feet. It's round. It's usually green. Water flows through it. What would you call that? No, it's not a hose pipe. It's a water hose. You call it a hose pipe, right? All right, well, I'm going to use your term, hose pipe. You, you hook the hose pipe up. You turn the water on, and the water flows through it freely. The water flows through the hose pipe. That's the way it's designed to work. That's what happens until 
you bend over and kink the hose pipe, and all of a sudden the water stops flowing. You know what's happened in some of your lives? God is love. And His love is, flows naturally through you, or it should. Until that person said what He said about you, and all of a sudden you bend over and you kink that hose pipe. God is the source of love. Until you heard how they lied about you, and you bent over and you grabbed that hose pipe and you kinked it. And now you refuse to love them. The way he treated you, what he said, what she did, you just kink the hose pipe of God's love and say, No, I'm not loving him. No, I'm not loving her. But I want you to look at chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Look what it says. Middle part of verse 7. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. John says it's a very valid test of your Christian faith. A very valid test of your Christian faith is whether or not you love. Now, I'm not saying that if you've ever had a hard time loving one particular person that you're not a Christian. But I am saying this. The love of God should flow through you. It's designed to flow through you, just like water is designed to flow through a hose pipe. Now, I want you to notice in verse 7 and 8 the word know, K-N-O-W. You'll find it twice, once in verse 7 and once in verse 8, K-N-O-W or K-N-O-W-S, know or knows. In the Bible, the Greek word know has a much deeper meaning than simply an intellectual acquaintance or an understanding of something. In the Bible, that Greek word know, sometimes that verb can sometimes be used to describe the sexual union between a husband and a wife. The Bible says that, that Adam knew his wife. He lay with her. He knew his wife. He, he had an intimate sexual relationship with her. And they used the word know, K-N-O-W. John says that if your life is characterized by love, then you will know, K-N-O-W, God. He means that you'll have an intimate personal, deep relationship with Him. You will share His life. You will share His love. You'll have an intimate relationship with Him. If you know God personally, that love then will flow through you. But if you don't love, you might say that you K-N-O-W God. But John says that's a lie. Look at verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Parentheses, even the jerks. So here's the first truth that is foundational to the rest of the message. God is the source of love. And if his love is not flowing through you and you do K-N-O-W him, then you have kinked the hose pipe deliberately to keep it from flowing to somebody else. Here's the second truth I want you to get from this text. God is the source of love. Number two, Jesus is the demonstration of love. Verses 9 and 10. It's interesting to me that nearly every time the Bible speaks of God's love, it's always pointing to the cross. 
over and over and over again throughout the Bible. Whenever, whenever the Bible speaks of the love of God, it almost always is pointing to the cross. Verse 9. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I, I love the way He says it in verse 10. This is love. Love is not just a feeling. It's just not the ooey-gooey feelings that you try to have or want to have towards someone. John says, no, 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 no. Let me tell you what real love is. This is a demonstration of love. Verse 9, he says, He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. That's love. Verse 10, He loved us and He sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And in both verses, you again, you see a word repeated. It's the word sent. God loved you so much, the Bible says that He sent His Son into the world so that you might live through Him. Uh, He loves you so much that He sent His one and only Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, by sending Jesus into the world, by sending Him to the cross, God did that because of love. It was not prompted by our love for Him, it was prompted by His love for us. Jesus' death was not an accident. It was an appointment. God sent His Son to the world for your benefit. He sent Him because He loved you. And here's the amazing thing. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated His love toward us in this, While we were yet sinners, Christ loved us. Get this in your mind for a moment. He sent His Son into the world to die for our sins when we were sinners, when we didn't love Him back, when we were not what we should be, when we were rebellious people. His love was flowing towards us when our love never even registered that He existed. He sent His Son. And then He says this in verse 11. Here's the application. Everybody look at the application, verse 11. The application is this. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Since God so loved us, we all also ought to love one another. What's the first two words of verse 11? Dear friends. Remember when, when John says, dear friends, he's about to say something very significant. What's the significant thing that he says? He says in verse 11, since God so loved us, We ought also to love one another. The greatest impression that you'll make on a person will not be when you tell them of God's love. The greatest impression you'll make on a person is when you show them God's love. But what does that love look like? Everybody look at your pastor. I'll tell you what, it's not. The kind of love that the Bible's talking about here is not an emotional love. It's not something you feel towards someone. The kind of love that he's talking about here is not a physical love. The kind of love that he's talking about here is not even a friendship type of love. The kind of love that he's referring to here, the Greek word is the Greek word, or is the Greek word agape, which means basically God's love. 
Agape, let me describe agape love to you with three statements. First of all, agape love is a love that's granted to somebody who needs to be loved. God sent His Son into the world because we needed His love. Agape is expressed towards somebody not who deserves love, but who needs love. There's a huge difference there. God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's not that we deserved that kind of love, it's that we needed that kind of love. That's agape love. It's a love that is expressed, that is granted to someone who needs to be loved. Number two, agape love is the love that sacrifices for for another person. He sent His one and only Son as a sacrifice for our sins. He sacrificed for our benefit. It's a love that holds nothing back. It's a love that do, it is a love that does not set conditions. It is a love that is willing to sacrifice for somebody else. And number three, agape love, this is the hard one. Agape love makes the first move. Look at verse 19. What he says in verse 19, we love because, because what, church? Yeah. We love because He first loved us. God's love, or agape love, makes the first move. We love because He first loved us. It is a love that is totally undeserved. It is a love where God took the initiative to love. It is a love where God knew that he, even as He expressed His love, that some would reject it. I'm so glad that I didn't go looking for God. He came looking for me. That's one of the ways I know that I'm loved. Because He came looking for me first. He came to love me first. And John says, Dear friends, Since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Sometimes that means that you will grant love to somebody just because they need it, not because they deserve it. It means that you'll grant love towards somebody and it'll be a sacrifice on your part to do it. It means that you grant love towards somebody and you're going to have to make the first move. And the Bible says that's God's love. Unkink the water hose and let the source of love flow through you. And so I'm going to give you four things that will help you do that in a practical way. Because I know some of you are wrestling right now. Because when I told you, get somebody in your mind, get a picture of somebody in your mind that's hard to love, immediately somebody came to mind because there is that person right now and, and the joy that you once had is a memory. The peace that you once had is a memory. Now most of your days are filled with anger and anguish and anxiety. And when you see that individual, you can't stand them. Or when somebody mentions their name, you kind of cringe. And when somebody gets up and preaches a message like this on love, you think, man, I wish I'd stayed home. So let me give you four things that might help you unkink the water hose or the hose pipe. Here's how you unkink the hose pipe. And allow the source of love to flow through you. Number one. Don't follow your heart. Choose to lead it. Don't follow your heart. 
choose to lead it. Here, here's what I mean by that. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is more deceitful above all things. If you follow your heart, you'll do what feels right, and it doesn't feel right to love them. If you follow your heart, you'll do what you want to do rather than what God wants you to do. So don't follow your heart. Choose to lead it. You need to lead your heart towards what is right and what is best and what is godly. Don't follow your heart. You've been following your heart and that's why you're so angry. You've been following your heart and that's why you're so resentful. You've been following your heart and that's why you're so miserable. Don't follow your heart. Follow God's heart. And God's Word. Number two. Love is a decision. Not just a feeling. Stop putting conditions on your love. Don't wait for them to change. And realize love is a decision. It's a decision that you make to unkink the water hose. It's a decision you make to get down, pick it up and say, man, I don't want to do this. I don't feel like doing this. But because God is the source of love, I'm going to make that decision. Love is not necessary. I'm not asking you... Listen, I didn't say this in the first service. I wish I had. Let me, let me tell you something. I'm not asking you to like them. Did you hear that? I'm not asking you to like them. God is not asking you to like them. But He is asking you to love them. There's a difference. I'm not asking you to be best friends. I'm not asking you to bring him over to your house and cook dinner for them. I'm asking you, now if he wants you to, that's fine, but I'm asking you simply to unkink the water hose. Let the love of God flow again. So love is a decision, not just a feeling. Number three, tell God you're struggling. Just tell God you're struggling. Be honest with Him. I can't produce this on my own, Lord. I, I, I don't want to do this, but I'm willing for your spirit to work in my spirit. I am willing for you to love them through me, but I'm struggling. And talk to God about that. Number four. Each day. Each day. Everybody say each day. Each day, let the Holy Spirit have His way. Each day, let the Holy Spirit have His way in your life. I'm reminded that in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And it says the fruit of the Spirit, the first one, is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. So you need to allow each day the Holy Spirit of God just to work in your spirit. And that might be the prayer that you pray. Holy Spirit, today work in my spirit. Change my critical, negative attitude towards this person into an attitude of love. Let His Spirit work in your spirit on a daily basis. Maybe you need to make it a little more personal this week, so here's my homework for you. Remember the title of the message? The title of the message is, Love God, Love Others. Let's say that together. Love God, Love Others. Say it one more time. Love God, love others. Now, this week, as you come in contact with, with him or her, that person who raises your blood pressure, this week when you see that person, here's what I want you to say. Rather than say, love God, 
love others, I'll, you, you got to make it a little more personal. Say, love God, love Him. Say that. Love God, love Him. Or, love God, love her. Remind yourself. Just say it over and over. Love God, love Him. Love God, love Him. I want to punch Him, but I'm going to love God, love Him, love God, love Him, love God, love Him. Love God. Love Him. Love God. Love her. I want you to bow your heads. I want to read you something, but I don't want you to I don't want you to be focused on anything going on in the sanctuary. I want you to listen. I want you to focus with me right now. John Bassanio wrote something that I thought was powerful regarding this. He said, make the choice Jesus made when He looked at you. And listen, make the choice Jesus made when He looked at you. And this is what John Bassanio wrote. He loved me not when I was whole, but when I was broken. Not when I was clean, but when I was unclean. Not when I was pure, but when I was defiled. Not when I was righteous, but when I was filthy. Not when I was compliant, but when I was rebellious. He loved me without conditions, without merit, without reservation. He loved me as I was, and He loved me unconditionally. John says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Love God. Love Him first. Love God. He's the source of love. Love God. And then allow Him love others through you. Love God. Love Him. Love God. Love her. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank You that You give us what You demand of us. That You enable us whatever You expect of us. And I pray, Father, for those that are struggling right now and there is perhaps even anger in their heart right now. There is anxiety and tension in their life right now. I pray that they would, would focus first and foremost on loving You. On being right with You. Tearing down walls so that You then can love these other people through them. God, we know that Satan doesn't want that. He wants to keep us in the bondage of our anger. He wants to keep us in the prison of our resentment. But I pray that we would deliberately make the decision to unkink the hosepipe and allow Your love to flow because You are the source of love. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.